Welcome to BIB Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. The provincial election campaign is roughly at its halfway mark, and a new poll from ResearchCo indicates the incumbent NDP government has a strong lead still. Much has yet to happen, a debate this Tuesday, for instance, but much will need to happen to jar John Horgan's party from the lead. Our columnist and public opinion researcher, Mario Canseco, the president of Research Co. is a regular guest with us here in the podcast, and today he brings some new findings. Hi, Mario. Hi, Kirk. Great to be here. Let's uh, let's look right away at. Uh, I know we're not supposed to really examine horse race stuff terribly much, but let's look at the horse race here and what it looks like at this juncture. Well, I think the main issue here is uh, there was no big bounce for the busy liberals after some of the announcements that they made. They're down one point from where we had them. Um, at the start of the campaign, uh, the NDP has gained four points. So now it's essentially a 12-point lead for the NDP in the horse race. Uh, the BC Conservatives are not running candidates in many places, and that uh, manifests itself with a, a new drop for this party. Uh, and the BC Greens are fairly steady, but not at the level that they had in the last election. So the story of the horse race right now is people who voted for the Greens in 2017 uh, are going to the NDP more so than the BC Liberals, particularly if there's no candidate in the riding uh, that is running for the Green Party. Uh, but also a little bit of difficulty from the Liberals in establishing that emotional connection with voters. You know, there's been a lot of policy talk, discussions about public safety, taxation, uh, but there's no emotion behind it that is making people to really give the BC Liberals a second look. And has there emerged any kind of ballot box issue, Mario? Well, this is one of the trickiest campaigns that I've been uh, involved in as far as where the people are going. Uh, three and a half years ago, it was mostly related to housing, uh, economy and jobs uh, back in 2013 more than anything. Um, what we have now is a mixture that really depends a lot on the area where you live and the age, uh, that, and the age that, that you have. Um, if you're young, if you're urban, you're more likely to be worried about housing, homelessness, poverty. If you're middle-aged, you're thinking about economy and jobs. Um, if you're over 55, you're looking at healthcare. Uh, COVID-19 as an issue has dropped. I think what we see here from the electorate is that they know we're in this for the long haul, and they seem to be satisfied with the way in which the NDP government has handled the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's not something that is going to move votes necessarily. People want to hear about policy options because this is not a government that's selected only to look at COVID-19. It's selected to look at everything for the next four years. And yet uh, a, a big tax break like the one the Liberals are proposing in terms of a moratorium on the PST for a year or the expenditure by the Horgan government of the $1,000 to the households of $125,000 or less in income would be defining characteristics of the campaign. And yet your results are indicating hasn't really moved the needle for either side. No, it's not really working as far as, you know, essentially facilitating the NDP to be, you know, 25 points ahead, which is something that we've seen in other jurisdictions. Um, it's not working in that fashion. And I think we see the same problem with the PST rebate. You know, there's a situation here where the lack of an emotional connection that leads to Andrew Wilkinson being more likable and John Horgan not being more likable is making this uh, unworkable for the liberals. You know, I think we can all go back to the Paul Martin campaign versus Stephen Harper, uh, 2005, 2006, uh, the idea of a GST reduction 
is very popular because at the time there was a lot of misgivings about Paul Martin's government because of the sponsorship scandal. So when people are already wary about the federal government, it's easy to say, hey, we will do it differently and we'll give you some money back. Um, they haven't done this. I think they tried in the first couple of weeks. We shouldn't be having this election. Why have an election during this pandemic? Did it move the needle? No. And if you haven't moved the needle emotionally, you can't connect policy-wise. Right. Because, the, again, the, like a lot of these uh, elections that appear to be ill-timed or opportunistically timed, there is an initial rush of emotion that exists in any campaign. Why in this case, Mario, don't you think that stuck to John Horgan? I think there's two issues at play. One of them is the fact uh, that there's a high level of confidence in the way the BC government has handled COVID-19. That is definitely part of the equation here. You might be upset that you're being asked to vote, but you're not voting for a government that has mishandled this. You know, part of the situation that we see in the United States and some of the polling that that we've conducted is that, uh, you know, there's no idea that the election was going to be happening in the middle of of this pandemic, but it is because it's a set date. And, you know, people are wondering, well, would would we be better off with somebody else handling COVID-19 instead of of Donald Trump? And the answer clearly is Joe Biden. When we ask British Columbians who is better to handle COVID-19, more than half of them say that it's John Horgan. So even people who aren't planning on voting for the NDP believe that he's a far superior person to handle COVID than Andrew Wilkinson. Well, and even in your findings, uh, the handling of the economy even comes up. And this, if someone had told me at any point that the New Democrats would be considered to be better economic stewards in the British Columbian populace than, say, the BC Liberals, I would have been astonished. Well, they were astonishing numbers. You know, one of the problems that we see here is uh, in elections that are close, like the one we had in 2017, you still see the BC Liberals higher than the NDP when it comes to leadership on issues such as economy and jobs, uh, to a lesser extent, public safety, energy. And we don't see that. We don't see Andrew Wilkinson connecting at the same level. Yeah, the Sonia Furstenau does very well as the environment. Uh, and and that's it. that is something that is expected. And it's happened to everybody before. It happened to Jane Sturk. It happened to Andrew Weaver. Uh, but when it comes to the issues that the two major parties can handle, you're used to seeing the BC Liberals doing better on financial stuff, and it's just not manifesting it itself right now. And we're running out of time in a way. You know, people are already voting, uh, and it's complicated for them to try to establish that uh, connection policy-wise. I think it's more of a favorability issue, which seems to be on the side of Oregon because of the pandemic and not on the side of Wilkinson. You've been doing a lot of research in this campaign, including uh, quite a bit of research on the mail-in ballots. The mail-in ballots this time stand to be the difference makers, don't they? Because we're now at over 600,000 that are out there. Potentially, all of those will be mailed in. Although, you know, I imagine quite a few of them won't. The people will still show up in person. But when I looked at the 27, the 17 uh, results, um, there were very few landslide victories. And I wonder whether this is going to be one of the most confusing election nights we have where you won't be able to really declare many winners. Well, it is definitely going to be confusing because we're looking into a number of votes cast by mail uh, that is higher than ever. Last time around, we had around 6,000 votes that were cast by mail, and it was essentially an issue in the Courtney Comox riding because you had a very close race and you still had to count some of those mail-in ballots. 
Now we have 100 times as many ballots that are going to be counted by mail, and that process begins after election night. Yeah. So we might have a situation on election days. night. In fact, it's 13 days later that it starts. Right? Because 13 you, days later. You have, you have to get the ballots back to the returning offices to make sure they go to the right place and then to ensure that, you know, you and I aren't out there voting multiple times, right? Well, and this is one of the reasons for for the election to be so compelling. Uh, this is supposed to be a recourse. Okay, if I'm moving away, if I'm going to be traveling, if I, I'll, I'll, I'll vote by mail, it's not supposed to be the system. And right now it is the system. You have so many people voting by mail and there weren't any discussions about whether some of these votes should be counted before. How do you tackle the issue of making sure that somebody doesn't vote twice? That has to happen according to legislation 13 days after the election. So if you have a place where everybody feels safe and votes, and let's say for the sake of argument, 60% of the vote is in on that night and, you know, 70% of the vote goes for a candidate. Yeah, that, that would be a simple one to call. Um, but it's not something that we faced before. And, and this is ultimately one of the problems We're we're not going to have, uh, as the Americans like to say right now, that peaceful transfer or a peaceful you know, everybody stays where they are uh, because we won't be having election night speeches uh, because nobody's going to want to concede when more than half of the vote is yet to be counted. Yeah. It, the one thing, though, again, back to your, your research, uh, where people are not necessarily uh, holding John Horgan accountable for calling an election at this point, they also don't appear to be holding him accountable for what might be a very confusing, vague election night. No, and I think that's also part of the situation that we face here. I think there was an opportunity, if you kind of knew that an election was coming, there was an opportunity to try to think about ways in which to make this safer. And there was probably a lot of discussion related to how we can vote safely, how, how are we supposed to make this work on account of specific polling stations, for instance. But I don't think they anticipated the amount of ballots that are going to be mailed. And this ultimately has a lot to do with the confidence that you have in a specific government. Now, that being said, 90% um, of BC residents and likely voters uh, feel that Elections BC is perfectly up to this job. You know, we're not going to be having a situation where people are afraid of, of mail-in fraud. And right. that is definitely a different situation than what we see in the United States, where some states always vote by mail. Others mm -hmm. are doing it more so this time around. And... The contending parties are already complaining about what the other will do. Yeah, we don't really know where the mail-in ballots are going to uh, are going to come in from. I mean, I think you can you, you can take a look at it now, and there's on average about seven thousand of these in each riding. Um, there's bound to be more in the bigger ridings and fewer in the smaller ridings, and all of that. But in in the end, you know, um, do we have to uh, necessarily think? that uh, the people who are using these mail-in ballots are the, the really dedicated voters. And so as a result, could we even see that these mail-in ballots form a, an even larger proportion than, uh, than the raw numbers might suggest today, where you know 40% of the, of the ballots, might that even be higher? Because these are the people that actually want to vote, and they're prepared to go through the process of mailing a ballot in. Uh, that's definitely true. I think there's an opportunity uh, to look into the behavior of the mail-in voter uh, because we now we have a sample size that is quite considerable. Uh, yeah. Is this something that is happening 
because uh, you are highly partisan, you like the person you have in charge of your district and you want to vote for them immediately and you know how to spell the name and you're going to write it correctly and send it back. Is this the kind of voter or is it the kind of voter that is sort of confused and, and doesn't want to do anything because they don't want to get exposed to COVID-19? Um, it's really tough to tell at this stage. Uh, but ultimately, I think it's really about figuring out what to do in the future. I mean, we're all hoping for the end of the pandemic and the opportunity to go back to the polling station and get that real, really nice sticker that they give you at the end. Uh, but is it time to do something different? Is it time to think about online voting now that everybody's doing online banking? Yeah, exactly. Uh, last, last area. And uh, let's take a look at the debate that's coming on Tuesday. Uh, once again, uh, you know, trailing in the polls, Andrew Wilkinson uh, likely has to have some kind of a strategy, a, a debate night strategy. What do you think for him offers any opportunity and what might work? Well, I think looking into some of the economic management issues uh, might work well. I think he will definitely try to talk about the $1,000 rebate. He'll talk about specific promises that the NDP has made. Um, touching ICBC is probably not the right course of action. No. Discussing the fact that the election is happening during this pandemic uh, didn't really work for them before. Um, and ultimately, I think it's really about establishing that emotional connection. Christy Clark was able to establish that connection, look into the camera, try to figure things out. I think it worked well for her a couple of times. And in the last election, it essentially led the governing party to a tie in voting intention. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's an issue more about connecting with the voters. And, you know, the, the, one of the key aspects here, uh, both for Andrew Wilkinson and for Sonia now, is, okay, so this, this seems to be a foregone conclusion. People are very happy with the way COVID-19 has been handled. Uh, but are we really coming into this debate uh, trying to save as many seats as we can? And ultimately, I think that's also part of the problem. Yeah. I mean, how, how do the liberals in, in particular put the focus on the next four years instead of the last four months? Well, I think it's ultimately connecting on issues that the voters who usually are supportive of the liberals care about. And, you know, we haven't seen a lot of that, particularly because COVID-19 seems to be taking over everything. You know, we are happy with the handling of this pandemic and you don't want to let somebody else uh, handle it for you, even somebody who is actually a medical doctor. Uh, you know, they haven't had an opportunity to establish that emotional connection. And I think it's really more about the fact, and this is something that has been discussed by the Greens at length, you know, things were working fine. You know, we had a pandemic in the middle of a minority government and we all behaved well. Nobody tried to topple anybody. Uh, send more green people if you want to keep the government accountable, even if we're not part of some sort of coalition deal. Um, and the same situation for the liberals. You know, this is not a campaign that started with an emotional advantage for the liberals. You can't connect as an opposition party when people don't know where your leader stands and you can't you can challenge a, an incumbent leader uh, who's at 60 something when it comes to his own rating. You know, it's, it's, it's too complicated. You need to plant the seed of doubt and they had two weeks to do so and they failed. Yeah. Mario, it's always good talking to you. We're gonna check in of course, before the, the vote comes uh, or what I would call like the second last result. Uh, uh, in this election campaign uh, before the 24th. But uh, always good talking to you. Thanks for your help today. My pleasure, Kirk. Anytime. Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co., a public research firm here and based in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. Thanks a lot for watching the Ivy Day.